sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Welcome to hour number two of the morning after live right here on this Wednesday on SportsGrid and Sirius XM channel 159. Thank you for joining us here live on this Wednesday. Sirius XM channel 159 is the home for SportsGrid radio on Sirius XM. You are here all a part of the Spiz Grizz network that is SportsGrid. I am Ben Stevens. So on this Wednesday, already some big news, of course, out of Major League Baseball. The breaking news at the top of our show. A reminder here to start off our number two. Aaron Judge is remaining with the New York Yankees. A nine-year, $360 million deal. $360 million, 40 mil on an annual basis. It is the largest contract ever signed in Major League Baseball free agency. 40 mil a year is the third highest annual value in Major League Baseball, only behind Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, who also play their baseball in New York. And because of that, following his record-setting season, 62 long balls, the American League single-season record, the Yankees' odds to win the 2023 World Series improving just a bit on this Wednesday morning. It was plus 900 yesterday, a price tied for third in the World Series market alongside the Amazons. 50 cents taken off the number for the pinstripes. They are now in third by themselves, plus 850 behind the Astros and the Dodgers. So that was a big signing on this Wednesday. On a Tuesday afternoon in the National Football League, a very surprising and intriguing firing from the Tennessee Titans. Letting go of their general manager, John Robinson, entering week number 14 of this NFL season. The timing of this news, incredibly peculiar, especially when you factor in the success that Tennessee has continued here in 2022 from where they have been the last few seasons as well. John Robinson has been the GM in Tennessee since 2016, seven seasons now. With the Titans, some of the more notable moves he has made, of course, this past offseason, trading away A.J. Brown. We'll get to that idea of the A.J. Brown revenge game for Tennessee against Philly this past Sunday in just a minute. But when you look at the Tennessee Titans, a 7-5 football team with a three-game lead in the AFC South Division, certainly on a path as we stand with five weeks remaining in the NFL regular season to get back to the AFC postseason as the divisional champs in the AFC South. They're a minus 1,400 favorite, as you can see right there, to win the division. They're a minus 2,000 favorite to get into the playoffs. Their win total is up to 10.5 now live here in this regular season, although the under has the heavy juice, but it was nine for their team win total in the preseason. Tennessee lost its first two games of this year. Then they won five straight, seven of their next eight in that span. Yes, they've lost back-to-back games, but the Titans still a favorite this weekend against Jacksonville. We'll touch on that in just a second. I mentioned A.J. Brown and John Robinson trading away the star young wide receiver from Tennessee to Philly on draft night back in late April. 
A.J. Brown had quite a revenge game against his former organization. Eight grabs, a buck 19, two touchdowns for the Eagles against the Titans in Philly's route of Tennessee, 35 to 10 in Philadelphia this past Sunday. Was that the reason? John Robinson was let go. We welcome in our Sports Grid Radio audience here. The second hour of the morning after live on this Wednesday, Sirius XM Channel 159, Sirius XM as well, as that is the place for Sports Grid Radio and all of our radio terrestrial affiliates. I am Ben Stevens. So John Robinson let go by the Tennessee Titans, the general manager in Nashville for seven seasons, dating back to 2016. Was it the ultimate A.J. Brown revenge game, one of the best revenge games we have ever seen that led to his firing. A.J. Brown, eight grabs, 119 yards, and two tuds against Tennessee for his new team in Philadelphia on Sunday. Was that the nail in the coffin that everybody looked around the front office and said, John, how'd you let that happen? We could have used A.J. ourselves on this two-game losing skid? I don't know. From a purely football perspective, again, the timing of this move for Tennessee is incredibly fascinating, especially because, again, Tennessee was the number one overall seed in the AFC playoffs last year. Yes, they got bounced in their first playoff game in the divisional round by the Cincinnati Bengals, but a year before that, in 2020, the Titans were in the AFC championship game, giving the Chiefs all they could handle in that AFC title game in Arrowhead before ultimately Kansas City prevails and gets back to the Super Bowl. So all of this is incredibly intriguing when you look at the timing of this move and where it stands for Tennessee because they have a three-game lead in the AFC South and a minus 1,400 favorite to win the AFC South division. And they play in a divisional duel against Jacksonville on Sunday. And the Titans are a three-and-a-half-point home favorite, which factors into those divisional odds even more so. They would take a four-game lead in the division if they win as they are favored to do at home in Nashville against the Jags and it would give them the advantage at the moment a four-game lead in the AFC South with a victory over Jacksonville with just four weeks remaining of course a focus will be Travis Etienne on one side for Jacksonville as we look at that game in the AFC championship market though Tennessee is 18 to 1 the sixth best price so maybe not all that optimistic for postseason success but Tennessee certainly a team in the regular season in strong control of the AFC South. We'll go to the World Cup on an off day in Qatar up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Today is the first in nearly 17 days in Qatar that we don't have any action on the pitch for the 2022 World Cup. We await the start of the quarterfinals following the conclusion of the knockout stage yesterday in Qatar. And boy, was it interesting. So breaking down the World Cup on this Wednesday, we need Dubs Anderson. And he is here on the show live right here on SportsGrid on the morning after. Dubs, some upsets in a big way yesterday some chalk and it sets the stage for the final eight remaining in Qatar all in the hunt for the 2022 World Cup title Dubsy as always thank you for waking up and joining us here on the morning after 
Yeah, always great to see you, Ben. And this is where it gets exciting uh, over in Qatar. The third week of the World Cup, 16 become eight. We still have some of those favorites you mentioned tracking for a bit of a collision course in the semifinals, the finals, if they can keep the dream alive. And speaking of keeping the dream alive, what about Morocco punching their first ticket through the quarterfinals? And Ben, it wouldn't be a World Cup without a bit of drama. Cristiano Ronaldo getting benched there for Portugal, but hey, no worries. Gonzalo Ramos steps up and bags a hat-trick. So week three in Qatar, a couple of days off. We get uh, going again there on Friday. Bring it on. Let's recap the final day of the round of 16 because our associate producer here, Dubsy, a man you know well and Joe Frizo, has been producing all of these World Cup segments. He is in his bag, as the kids would say. And he has been hoping for the entirety of this time in the knockout stage we would have a David versus Goliath actually means something of significance. And that's what we saw yesterday. Morocco pre-match to advance to the quarters, plus 340. Scoreless after regulation. Nil-nil even after extra time. We go into penalties, and Morocco prevails over Spain. A huge upset, Dubsy. What stood out to you most about the effort from Morocco yesterday? Yeah, I mean, David versus Goliath, that is a perfect way to put it there, Benny. Spain, number seven in the FIFA World Rankings. Morocco, number 22 there. This Spanish side won it back in 2010. They've got all the experience in the world. Their manager up top, uh, Luis Enrique, he told the team, before you come to the World Cup, I want to see a 1,000 penalty kicks from each and every one of you. It's 12 yards, Benny. How hard can it be to find the back of the net? Yeah. Well, for Spain, they struggled 77 percent of possession they held uh you know first through the first 90 minutes and it wasn't enough to create any any uh, you know genuine goal scoring opportunities 13 shots to six they'll put them on their place but uh for me bono the shot stopper the goalkeeper at the back st stand up and take the praise man give him his flowers these goalkeepers defenders benny at the world cup they haven't uh, got the kudos they deserve so for me that was uh the biggest highlight a nil all draw sends it to penalties and this is the beauty of week three, uh, the knockout stages. When we start going to these penalties, anything can happen. It's not luck, though, Ben. It is not luck. It is mental fortitude. It's athleticism. Morocco punching their ticket for the very first time in a quarterfinal. Great stuff. The Spaniards unable to tickle twine, as they say, at really any point in that match in the round of 16 against Morocco. They advance to the quarterfinals. A team that had no issue scoring yesterday, Dubsy. Portugal, a 6-1 victory over Switzerland to advance to the quarters in Qatar as well. You mentioned some of the drama surrounding this Portuguese side and Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo. He did sub in in the 73rd minute, but it was his replacement in the starting 11, Gonzalo Ramos, that scored a hat trick yesterday. So, Dubsy, was it addition by subtraction for this Portuguese side as Portugal may be even better on the pitch performance-wise without Ronaldo. Yeah, and this is a common theme we've seen in the Premier League. When, when Cristiano was at Manchester United and he got benched, they finally started to win games and they look like a far better outfit. Not to say that Portugal have been struggling um, coming into this one. You know, they're still number nine in the rankings there, Switzerland number 15, but they look fantastic. Gonzalo Ramos, this is a kid who wasn't even in the picture a couple of months ago there, Benny, 21 years of age, gets a hat-trick, taking the place of one of his superstars, his idol there in Cristiano Ronaldo. You can imagine how awkward that tension would be. But, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why Ramos is wearing number 26. He was the 26th player chosen 
to go to Qatar and talk about having a star shining moment there yesterday. Uh, Fantastic stuff there for Ramos. And now Fernando Santos is left with the drama. Do I stick with Ramos going in to the next matchup? Or do you put Ronaldo back out there on the pitch who has been somewhat of the captain for this Portuguese outfit the last couple of decades? I think it's pretty clear, Ben. You tell Cristiano, you are coming off the bench and giving us that X factor and spark that we need. Otherwise, you know where that airport is, mate. And for Cristiano, he's probably not even going to the airport. Uh, the big rumors, he's sticking around Al Nasser, over $200 million a season, he said to sign with that yeah. Middle Eastern club. So Ramos, special kid, special stuff, now taking uh, center stage for Portugal. That is the story around Cristiano Ronaldo, not just what he's done with Portugal during this World Cup in Qatar, Dubsy. Of course, the mutual parting of ways early in the tournament from Man U and now reportedly signing with Al Nasir in Saudi Arabia for over $200 million per year. Aaron Judge is going to make $40 million per year and a large $360 million contract, but Ronaldo over $200 million per season with that Saudi Arabian club in Al Nasir. Next up for Portugal, the quarterfinal match on Saturday morning. The first of the two in the quarterfinals on Saturday, Dubsy. And Portugal's a heavy favorite to advance to the semis. Minus 350 pre-tournament. That number for the Portuguese to be one of the final four, plus 250. For Morocco, much longer, 44 to 1. So, Dubsy, if Morocco can keep this Cinderella run going at the 2022 World Cup, what will be a key for a potential upset against the Portuguese on Saturday morning? I mean, how, how do you slow down this Portuguese outfit? They've now put up 12 goals throughout the group stages moving into the knockout. Well, you need a pretty good goalkeeper. Morocco, yeah, they've got that. You've seen Bono showed us uh, with that shootout that he is certainly up to the challenge there. But uh, for Portugal, scoring at the clip they did there yesterday, Ben, that does concern me for Morocco. The dream could be coming to an end there. And if you've got a guy like Cristiano now suddenly coming off the bench, um, that's a bit of spark in the second half. And one thing to, to note there for the punters, the sports betters, if some of these uh, matchups in the quarterfinals get a little lopsided, like we saw with Portugal taking a two-goal lead there after the 30 minutes, the other side starts throwing everything in the kitchen sink at you. It suddenly opens them up at the back, and they're a little vulnerable for that counterattack. So if you're looking at the live betting and one of these teams gets mm. a couple there early, lean towards the overs. We're going to see plenty coming in that second half. But for Morocco, for me, they've got to slow down Portugal in some way. Uh, guys like Ramos, who are now cooking on full cylinders, you've got to starve them of possession. You give them plenty of chances, they're going to score plenty of goals. Morocco, can they keep the dream alive? Ranked number 22 in the world? I certainly hope so, but I do think Portugal will get the better of them, Ben. We were waiting for some upset in the knockout stage, and Morocco provided that. Now only eight teams remaining in the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Dubsy, everybody's price pre-tournament to where it is now on the brink of the quarterfinals, getting shorter except for the Netherlands, getting longer by a dollar for the Dutch because they have to face off against Lionel Messi and Argentina in the quarterfinals. So, Dubsy, where we stand right now, just eight teams remaining, just three rounds left, including that title match. How do you evaluate the futures market? I think France still presents uh, plenty of great value there. Starting at 7-1, to one, now into plus 450. Um, for me, even without the best player in the world, Kareem Benzema, I think they've got the second guy in line there. Kylian Mbappe has shown at this World Cup. He has every bit of class with or without Benzema, uh, you know, side by side. Olivier Giroud, he's going to step up in place there. So I think f- for the French, if you haven't got a ticket... 
in this fight. Certainly entertained at their plus 450. I think that's fantastic. And can they go back to back? I certainly think so. They'll be taking on the winner of uh, Croatia and Brazil. They're on the south side of the board. Morocco, Portugal, winner of that one, could be taking on Messi and the boys there. Wouldn't that be a, a spicy little matchup? Messi taking on Cristiano. Yep. Both superstars looking for a breakthrough sure. at the World Cup. Dubsy, the marquee match of the quarterfinals on Saturday, England and France. As you saw there, Brazil still the favorites in the futures market. The strongest line to get to the semis, minus 700 against Croatia. Dubs Anderson, you are the best. Thank you as always. More TMA up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We are back live right here on this Wednesday on the morning after on SportsGrid. Sirius XM, Channel 159. I am Ben Stevens. We now welcome on a regular guest in a slightly different spot. Evan Sideri from BasketballNews.com joins us here on this Wednesday, away from his usual Friday guest appearance, but still breaking down the association. Evan, as always, we appreciate your flexibility and your expertise breaking down the NBA with us. Absolutely, Ben. Thanks again, as always, for the invite. Evan, on a Tuesday evening, a rather short slate in the association, but a marquee matchup in Cleveland between the Cavaliers and the Lakers, who L.A. entered last night having won three straight games and starting to look like maybe, just maybe, were the Lakers turning a quarter? Not last night in Cleveland. Donovan Mitchell had a lot to say about that. The Cavs winning 116 102. Evan, for that span of three straight, Anthony Davis was on an absolute tear. He left the basketball game early after only playing eight minutes with flu-like symptoms. Donovan Mitchell, meanwhile, 43 points for Cleveland in the 18-point victory. So, Evan, as you looked at last night in Cleveland, what was the number one thing that you take away from that matchup between the Lakers and the Cavs? I think for me, it was on Cleveland's side, just seeing how Donovan Mitchell operates within this offense next to Darius Garland, have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley setting him up on pick and rolls. It could be an unstoppable offense, and we saw it last night with Donovan Mitchell having an efficient 43 points and also dishing out five assists. Darius Garland was excellent as well, but we've been banging the Cavs drum all year on the show, Ben. I think this team is legitimate. I think they're an Eastern Conference Finals contender, and you look at the record so far over a quarter of the way through the season at 16-9, and nine, right near the top of the Eastern Conference. But if Donovan Mitchell can play at an all-NBA, all-star level that we know he can, and with better teammates around him this time in Cleveland, this team can be a 50-plus win team. It could be a deep postseason contender, in my opinion. I more so took away from the game last night. This Cavs team, when they're fully locked in, they're one of the best teams, I think, in the NBA. Spite of 43 points last night, like we mentioned, four of eight from deep. He is shooting over 40% from three this year, Evan, averaging 29 points per game in his inaugural season for the Cleveland Cavaliers. If he sustains this level of high-performance basketball, how does it translate for Cleveland, not just in the regular season, Evan, but truly being that contender in the Eastern Conference? Yeah, it's what's so interesting about Donovan Mitchell in Utah. We saw this before, him having these scoring explosions on the biggest stage in the Orlando bubble, that famous series against Denver when him and Jamal Murray were going back and forth for 40, 50-point games. And that was for about six, seven-game series. We haven't really seen much of that since then. 
But with Donovan Mitchell having these teammates like Darius Garland, take the pressure off him offensively. Even Jared Allen could be a great rim protector. Same with Evan Mobley. Even Karis LeVar off the bench can give you 15, 20 points if you need to as well. This team is a lot more balanced around Donovan Mitchell to hide his weaknesses, which is on defense, and just let him cook offensively. He can be one of the best scorers in the NBA. He's shown it throughout this year, averaging close to 30 points per game. I think in a postseason level, too, with how the way their defense is playing, Ben, they could be a team that allows Donovan Mitchell to score 30-plus points in the postseason and let him take positions off on the defensive end. So this team, I think, is very legitimate. And I think right now, if I had to make a wager, I'd say they're easily top three in the East, in my opinion, behind Boston and Milwaukee. And they have that price right now out East as well. We flip our attention over to the Western Conference. A big matchup in Denver between the Nugs and the Mavs last night. A very back-and-forth basketball game. Dallas emerges with a one-point road victory an off night for Luka Doncic only 22 points but a triple double for Luka as well Nikola Jokic the two-time reigning NBA MVP almost a triple double himself 19 8 and 8 albeit in a losing effort for Denver against Dallas last night Evan as you look at these two teams two Western Conference contenders for sure trying to make some noise in the depth out West Who do you believe in more for the rest of this season to truly make some noise come the playoffs? I actually really like the upside of Denver, health permitting. If Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. can give you the offense production that we know they can, like we mentioned before, Jamal Murray can golf for 40, 50 points in a posting game if he wants to. Michael Porter Jr. is one of the most gifted scorers in the NBA when he's fully healthy at six foot ten, plus 40% three-point shooter. Nicole Jokic, we all know, back-to-back MVP as well. If this offense can get clicking and this roster can stay healthy, Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are kind of taking their, their time a little bit with injury and for good reason with how long the season's going to be for the Nuggets. But I think if they get hot at the right time with Nicole Jokic playing the way he is right now, they can be a deep postseason team as well. I'm a little still trepidatious about Dallas just because they need more help around Luka. Tim Hardaway Jr. stepped a little bit recently for the Mavericks, but I don't know if that is sustainable for the rest of the season. So I'll go with the more weaponry on Denver. I'll take the Nuggets here, but I think it's a close battle between Denver and 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 Dallas as far as the long-term hopes in the postseason. Denver four games above 500 right now, the fourth best price in the Western Conference Championship market. You saw that price there at plus 600. The Mavs two games above 500 following the road winning in the Mile High City yesterday at 12 to one if you're looking for value right now Evan Sideri in the Western Conference is it a team like the Nuggets or would you go further down the board maybe focusing on New Orleans or potentially Portland as well I love looking for value on the board here Ben and right right away like you mentioned New Orleans jumps right out to me at plus 1300 I think this team is very well slept on right now Zion Williamson's playing an all-NBA level once again, fully healthy. Brandon Ingram, as we know, is one of the more underrated scorers in the league. Same for T.C.J. McCollum, too. And this is even a better, more deeper rotation than we saw last year thanks to their strong offseason. So I would definitely, based off the board here, take the value with New Orleans at plus 1,300. I've been high on them all season long. They could be a deep posting contender as well. If you're looking up a little bit higher than New Orleans, I would still go towards maybe Denver at plus 600. I think if they can stay healthy, they're a legitimate contender, like I mentioned. But as far as the best value presented on the board via FanDuel right now, I would definitely lie more toward New Orleans because if Zion Williams could be Zion Williamson and stay healthy all season long, this should be a top six seed and not to worry at all about the play in this year. So we know about the NBA MVP, the rookie of the year, the league's most improved player, sixth man defensive player, all of those great awards that we talk about as the season continues on in the association. And earlier this week, the NBA introducing a ton 
more trying to incentivize the regular season. Evan, as you look at all of these new awards the NBA has laid out, do you like the move? Do you truly believe it does incentivize regular season performance around the league? It's interesting because I do believe that it does incentivize some guys, but as far as like the older veterans in the league, like LeBron or Chris Paul or even younger veterans, does it really incentivize you that much to go for an extra five, six points per game? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but I just don't know if this really incentivizes the elite players to go for it. Maybe like the most approved candidates, maybe the younger guys in the league, but as far as the established guys go, I don't know if it makes much of a difference, but the younger guys in the league, for sure, I think it gives you more motivation to play above your potential and go that route. Evan, as we focus on the regular season, the three best records in the league so far after a quarter of the season is already through, the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Suns in that order. Those three teams, the only currently on the FanDuel Sportsbook in the entire NBA that have current win totals posted above 50. So from Boston, Milwaukee, and Phoenix, Evan Sideri, who do you think at the end of the regular season finishes with the league's best record? I would have to go with Boston at this point in time. Just the way they're playing right now with Jason Tatum at an MVP level. Jalen Brown is a great sidekick, as we all know. And the way that Joe Missoula has this group locked in as the interim head coach has been incredible to me. Their defense has been great. Their offense is really humming on all cylinders still, uh, uh, yeah. like last year in the postseason. So if Tatum can keep this up and this offense can stay healthy with Malcolm Brogdon off the bench, he's been in and out of the lamp a little bit. I think it's a great addition to that team. They're on a current win pace near 60. I think this team makes an awful lot of sense to finish at the top of the conference this year in the East and the best record overall. We saw it last year with Boston when they caught caught a heater the second half of the season. It really, you can see exactly why this team is so elite on both ends of the court when they're fully locked in. They're a modern built team with a lot of wings surrounding Jason Tatum. They have a lot of great shooters, a lot of great defenders. I would definitely side with Boston right now, but it's really close in my opinion between them and Milwaukee and it will be all season long in the East. The Celtics, the best record in the Eastern Conference, 20-5, and the best record in the NBA. But the best record out West, that would be the Phoenix Suns, 16-8 and so far in this NBA campaign. Evan, and what a marquee matchup we have tonight in the Valley between those Suns and the Seas as well. Boston enters this matchup as a two-and-a-half-point road favorite. Chris Paul remains questionable for Phoenix ahead of tonight's game against Boston a two and a half point spread Evan it should be a great game in Phoenix tonight how do you believe these two teams match up as you break down the game between the Celtics and the Suns yeah it's a really interesting game and one I'm really looking forward to tonight in Phoenix because Devin Booker and Jason Tim are the two best offense players in the NBA outside of Giannis so far this year and Luka and those guys should be going head to head throughout this game but I think the real x factor this one's going to be DeAndre Ayton down low for Phoenix because Robert Williams remains out for Boston he will be until after the holidays I think this is a game for Phoenix especially with no Chris Paul still where you feed DeAndre Ayton inside and you see what exactly what happens. He's a very efficient big man. He has a huge size advantage tonight down low against Boston's backup bigs. So I would definitely hammer the underdog here at home. I would take Phoenix behind a big game from DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker to have a huge scoring night as well. I'll take the underdog here, Ben. I will take Phoenix to win outright at home against the Celtics tonight. No props out for the Suns just yet as they try to figure out the status of a few in that lineup. But Jason Tatum's points prop 28 and a half a number he has gone over in six of the last seven for the Celtics if anybody is going to catch Boston out east Evan like you mentioned it's most likely the Milwaukee Bucks who now Chris Middleton is back into the fold what advantage does that give Milwaukee only about 30 seconds left in this segment 
Yeah, I honestly think Middleton gives them an easy guy to take pressure off of Giannis Antetokounmpo offensively. Like you mentioned, a 25, 20 to 25 point per game score, you throw right back into this lineup. They're an elite unit already without Middleton. Now you throw Middleton back into the mix, Ben. They're already one of the best teams in the NBA, and this should cruise really to 55-60 win this year with Middleton back in the lineup. The Bucs a six-and-a-half-point home favorite tonight against those Sacramento Kings. Evan Sideri of BasketballNews.com. We appreciate the insight as always, Evan. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Ben. Thanks again for the invite. From the pro ranks to college basketball, up next, live right here on The Morning X. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Not far away from us here in Midtown Manhattan at the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden, a huge night of college basketball in the Jimmy V Classic in 2022 in MSG. And a man that was there last night as we welcome him on this morning to the morning after, live right here on SportsGrid, FanDuel's John Rothstein, of course, also covering college basketball with the best of them for CBS Sports. John Rothstein in the building inside the garden last night john how was the atmosphere for a huge night of college basketball in msg the atmosphere was sensational ben it is ben right it is okay just making sure it was sensational ben and i think you know one of the things that you love obviously about december tournaments is you get to see you know what fan bases really resonate through any venue and i think you could say right now that illinois and its fan base have arguably the most underrated fan base in college basketball when you think about the way they traveled they went to las vegas a couple of weeks ago for the continental tire main event and they dominated sin city they came to madison square garden last night and they took over the world's most famous arena illinois the most underrated fan base in college basketball ben it is i ben, could right? argue the state it is ben i could argue yeah, okay. john that the state farm center in champagne is always a champagne party it is john rothstein not mr rothstein that is his father and john right. as you took in the game last night between the illini and the longhorns texas entered and still is the number two team in the country with a perfect six and oh record it goes to overtime illinois comes away with the victory handing the longhorns their first loss of the season in overtime outright for illinois as a three and a half point underdog so what stood out to you most about the illini's effort handing texas its lone loss this season well, you know, I talked to Brad Underwood about this after the game, Ben, and I think the number one thing you need to look at when you evaluate this Illinois team is this. There are so many different people on Illinois' roster who can be the assassin. This is not the team we've seen the last couple of years that had Io DeSumo, Kofi Coburn, and Trent Frazier, where you knew the role allocation was going to be concrete. At the start of the game, Matthew Meyer shined for the Illini. Then down the stretch, Jaden Epps, the talented freshman guard, made big play after big play to propel the Illini in overtime. And then in overtime, Taryn Shannon Jr. really sealed the win for Illinois. And I asked Brad Underwood this after the game. Is Illinois going to have a different closing unit from game to game because there's so many options? He thinks that's a distinct possibility. Ben, remember this. It's not anarchy. It's just college basketball. 
And it is only December. Not only, John, is it Ben, it is also Big Ten Ben. And we'll focus on Illinois and that illustrious conference in just a little bit because two Big Ten teams in action inside MSG last night. But first, let's focus on Texas, the number two team in the country, John, with the second best price to win a national championship at 10 to 1. Only behind Houston. And the Longhorns entered last night as the favorites to win the Big 12 conference this season as well John as you evaluate Chris Beard and the Longhorns what do you think the ceiling is this season for Texas you know Texas is a team that has a chance to be a high seed in the NCAA tournament and get to a final four I have no doubts about that the one thing I think that I really took away from last night is when we look at end of game situations Texas is still trying to find out what works from an upfront perspective Brock Cunningham logged a lot of minutes down the stretch I know Chris Beard has a really soft spot for him but defensively obviously he was a focal point against Dane Danger he was also a focal point on other players he took some big shots late as well I think Texas is still figuring things out I don't think the rotation is quite as loose as it was a year ago but Texas again is a team that's already beaten Creighton beaten Gonzaga Texas again is also going to have a lot of opportunities to move the needle in the Big 12. The second Big Ten team in action in the nightcap at Madison Square Garden last night Iowa taking on 15th ranked Duke the Blue Devils a two and a half point favorite for that basketball game John and a 74 62 victory for another John in John Shire in his debut as the head man for the Duke Blue Devils inside Madison Square Garden a great defensive effort for the Dukies 22 points for Jeremy Roach a preseason all ACC player for Duke John a couple of games now into the John Shire era there in Durham 11 in fact and Duke has a 9 and 2 record how do you evaluate the Blue Devils here in the early going of the first year under John Shire a team that has a tremendous long-term upside. I think when you look at Duke and you look at their ability to obviously have great stewardship at the point guard spot, when Jeremy Roach has played well this season, like last night against Iowa, like against Xavier in the PK-85, Duke has been a sensational team to watch. But the big thing that I look at is Duke's interior defense and their ability to take people out of easy offense at the rim. And I, I asked Fran McCaffrey about this last night. He felt that Iowa missed a lot of shots that they had, you know, open opportunities for. But I looked at Mark Mitchell's defense last night on Chris Murray and the way that once mm. Murray was able to get into the teeth of the defense, he had to go against Kyle Filipowski, Derek Lively, Ryan Young. Those three players and Mark Mitchell comprise a quartet that is four players between six, eight, and seven, and one. Duke's interior defense is a completely, completely incredible attribute for this basketball team. And Ben, it's not shots blocked, it's shots altered. It's a very good look as well. And they altered tons of shot in the offensive scheme for Chris Murray last night for Iowa. John, it was my best bet. On the show yesterday, Chris Murray over 18 and a half points. He didn't even come close. Only eight points against a stout Duke defense, finishing with just seven boards as well. Still 22 to 1 to win the Wooden Award, up from 55 to 1, John, in the preseason. Do you still think that Chris Murray for these Iowa Hawkeyes can be in the running for either the National Player of the Year Award or maybe at least the Big Ten Player of the Year Award? 
Well, I think the Big Ten Player of the Year award is going to go to Zach Eady, and I think he's the runaway favorite right now for the National Player of the Year. But I do think Chris Murray is on a trajectory to have an All-American-type season. But this is what he's going to see now the rest of the schedule. He had 31-20 and against Georgia Tech. Duke's defense was obviously game-planned to stop him last night. Chris Murray is going to be the focal point of every scouting report the rest of the season. But, Ben, when I look at Iowa, and I really split the atom, this basketball team needs Peyton Sanford to become a reliable shot maker on the wing. Fran McCaffrey has switched Iowa's lineup. He's now starting Aaron Eulis and Tony Perkins. Sanford's coming off the bench. But Peyton Sanford right now looks like somebody, again, who's just on the edge of Montauk with a handful of pebbles and can't get anything in the ocean. Sounds like a July afternoon for John Rothstein in between college basketball seasons. So I put on my Big Ten hat yesterday, John, and walked to Madison Square Garden to take a photo and announce that MSG was the home of Big Ten hoops for the day, except for a huge Big Ten matchup in Madison last night at the Kohl Center yeah. between Wisconsin and a perfect 8-0 Maryland team entering the game, moving up to number 13 in the AP poll entering this yeah. week as well but the Badgers handing the Terps their first loss of this season as well in Wisconsin's Big Ten debut 64-59 John as you evaluate both the Badgers and the Terrapins at this point do you expect both to be contenders in the Big Ten this season I don't know about contenders yet, but I do expect both Maryland and Wisconsin to be in the NCAA tournament in 2023. You know, Kevin Willard has Maryland ahead of schedule. I've talked to their staff about this in the last week. You know, I think that they thought they had a chance to be competitive in year one, but they've gotten a big jump from Hakeem Hart. They've gotten a big jump from Julian Reese and Dante Scott. And Wisconsin, Ben, you know, you being the Big Ten, you know, historian that you are, this reminds me of a Wisconsin team before Sam Decker and Frank Kaminsky were playing for Bo Ryan. I have big-time Keaton Nankaville, Mike Bruzowitz vibes from this Wisconsin team that is more than comfortable beating teams 55-53. Right now, Wisconsin, their last five games, now make it six games for the Badgers, have been by a combined 18 points. The margin in those six games, a combined 18 points with a five-point victory at home in Madison last night, covering as a short one and a half point favorite so I mentioned we would talk about the Big Ten John Rothstein as we look at that conference overall it seems the two teams in Indiana were in 49 other states it's just basketball but in Hoosier land it's something different Purdue and Indiana will go neck and neck all year long for that top spot as the favorite in the Big Ten those are the fan duel odds John Rothstein who is your favorite to win the Big Ten title during the regular season that's an outstanding question, you know, especially in a league like this. I'm going to take right now the team with the best player, and that is Zach Eady on Purdue. But I do think ultimately, you know, we are going to have two games between Indiana and Purdue this year that are going to be holy wars when you think about, you know, the, the rivalry in that state and the fact that you are going to have two first-team All-Americans going against each other, Trace Jackson Davis for the Hoosiers and Zach Eady for Purdue. I think Indiana and Purdue right now, I'd put at the top, but Illinois with their performance last night right behind. I think the interesting thing is this in the Big Ten. You know, last year, we had a Big Ten again that again had nine teams in the NCAA tournament. 15 of the top 20 scorers from a year ago are no longer in the league, and the conference has not missed a beat in terms of what it's done in the non-conference portion of the schedule. The Big Ten again 
may not have the type of success in the NCAA tournament that we obviously would like to see it have if you're a Big Ten fan like Ben Stevens. But I'll say this. The Big Ten has had nine teams in each of the last two NCAA tournaments. I didn't think that was going to happen at the start of the year. Right now, I wouldn't be shocked if the Big Ten winds up around that number. If there is a sliver of optimism from a Big Ten perspective, trying to snap a 22-year skid, a drought of not winning a men's basketball national championship, it's that some of the performances, John, in the non-conference have looked really, really impressive so far, led by Purdue. Big Ten teams beat up on one another throughout the regular season. Their rankings all look good. The records are all outstanding. But come to tournament time in March, that's where they leave a lot to be desired. That might be a sliver of optimism. As one John Rothstein might say, the Big Ten is in position to be in position to make some noise come the NCAA tournament. A team certainly also in uh, position, John, UConn. But a big test for the Huskies tonight on the road in Gainesville as a a four-and-a-half-point favorite against the Gators. Right now, John, Connecticut has looked so impressive to start this season. How do you break down the matchup against Florida this evening? Well, some updates, you know, for you, Ben, and other avid followers of college basketball. Kyle Lofton, according to a school spokesman, is going to be a game-time decision for the Gators due to a back injury. So there's an update on that game there. But I think UConn right now is the team that not only looks good enough to get to the Final Four, win a national championship, I think UConn has to think, even on December 7th, about putting itself in position to be in position. And what that means, Ben, is this. After Nebraska beat Creighton, on Sunday, I tweeted, UConn is now the favorite in the Big East, and the Big East now runs through stores Connecticut. Why is that so important? You always want to win your conference if you're a program like UConn, and you always want to obviously win a conference regular season title. But this year, if UConn can win the Big East, it will be in position to be the number one seed in the East region of the NCAA tournament. Why is that so important? That means round of 64 and round of 32 games in Albany and Sweet 16 and Elite 8 games in Stores South, which is Madison Square Garden. It's real simple. If you're UConn and you're a one seed in the East, it means you get to Madison Square Garden the second weekend. That means you get back to the Final Four for the first time since 2014. Four words, America. This is only December. And the Huskies, the favorites in December to win the Big East right now at plus 150. John Rothstein, as always, thank you for your time. More SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Closing out our two hours together here, live on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM, Channel 159. It's the home for Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM. All across the Spiz Grizz Network, that's Sports Grid. I am Ben Stevens. Thank you for joining us on this Wednesday, live right here all across the grid. John Rothstein just gave you his breakdown of who he considers the clear front runner in the Big East. That would be the Yukon Huskies, now ranked number five in the country, a perfect 9-0 basketball team for Dan Hurley so far to start this season. John will be on the sidelines, not in Gainesville for Florida and UConn tonight, but in Philadelphia for what I believe is Villanova and Penn, and 
we'll see John Rothstein a little bit later on, maybe next week on this show as well. But he got us in the college basketball feel here in only December. So before we say farewell and before we say goodbye, it's time for a college hoops best bet. It is time for Bye Bye Bye. We focus on the Swamp this evening and 9-0 UConn. They are a fantastic basketball team to begin this season. Not only are the Huskies 9-0, winning by an average margin of over 24 points per game, UConn is 8-0-1 against the number. As a favorite in eight of those nine games, they have covered in seven, a push when they won by 20 points, booked as a 20-point favorite it's only four and a half in favor of the Huskies tonight on the road against the Gators now Florida is a competitive team they should make some noise in the SEC this year but I believe in this UConn team and I think the number is just a tad too small so give me the Huskies laying four and a half on the road in Gainesville against Florida this evening also one of Connecticut's big men Adama Sonogo who might be the big east player of the year his rebound prop is only six and a half he averages 6.9 boards per game so it's a good number based on that but just another area to look at that basketball game on this Wednesday evening that does it for us today on the morning after we'll be back tomorrow on a Thursday starting at 9 a.m. Eastern I'm Ben Stevens we'll talk then